0: That was how to make the elixir of life and holy grail. Next up.
1: I'm a mortal, your source for all things immortal.
2: Hello, my friends. My name is Jose Cordeiro. I was born in South America from Spanish parents, and then I was educated in the USA and in France. So I speak several languages, actually five languages, and I love to travel, I love to learn, and I love to share. I am an engineer from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. I studied mechanical engineering and economics, and also I took languages. I took French and German while I was at MIT. Then I worked a long time in energy, And I moved into academia as well and writing books. I have published a dozen books and I have been involved with many universities, including Singularity University, that I was one of the founding faculty in 2009. And now I am living in Madrid, in Spain, where I am trying to bring all these futuristic ideas to Spain. I am director of the Millennium Project vice president of Humanity Plus, and a fellow of the World Academy of Art and Science.
1: That's a great and extensive history. Definitely like that you're multilingual. It's something I try to achieve myself as well. So before we dig into more of the Immortal and Life Extension talk, I wanted to ask if you could tell us a little bit more about how you went from education and engineering at MIT to the field of longevity and the work you do today.
2: Well, I have always been fascinated by all technologies. Even though I started in the energy area, I was always tracking other developments in biotechnology, artificial intelligence, robotics. And when longevity really became a hot area about 20 years ago because of the work of Aubrey de Grey and other scientists, I got more and more interested as the new big thing. And so I am truly excited that this is finally moving forward and very very fast.
0: Okay, given this podcast is called "I'm Immortal," a play on the word "immortal," we often ask guests at the beginning what they think of the word of immortal or immortality. So, Jose, what's your take on that?
2: Well, actually, I use them both, immortal and immortality, openly because people understand those words. Unfortunately. They are a bit wrong or mistaken because we can never guarantee immortality because for that we need an infinite amount of time and we don't know what will happen in an infinite amount of time. So the proper term might be a mortality or a mortal, which means from Greek also a means no death, no mortality. So a mortal, mortality could be a better description. So that we don't die if we don't want to die. Because immortality, even though it's our dream, our hope, we might never reach it. So our podcast actually has a dual
0: meaning when we say I'm a (laughs) mortal. Very interesting. So given what you've said, then, would you ever want to aim for immortality or at least be a mortal?
2: Well, of course, that is my goal. I don't plan to die. In fact, in the future, I actually plan to be younger. And younger than both of you, you are old people <laughs> to me in the future, but don't worry, you will be able to be younger yourself as well. So that is the goal that people might have a biological age between 20, 25, maybe 30. That might be a bit too old for me at the time in the future, but I could take 30 years as well, which is about half my current age now.
1: mm mm-hmm. So before we dig into a lot more about asking you about how we can potentially turn younger, this word transhumanism, and often goes hand in hand with extending life and life extension. So could you just quickly define what you describe as transhumanism and how does it relate to living forever and potentially just extending life?
2: Transhumanism is a philosophy, the typical or traditional humanism with an addition of science and technology. So basically it is the fantastic, great humanist ideas of the last couple of centuries with the new science and technology. In a way also we could say that transhumanism is transcending human limitations. We humans have many, many limitations. We have biological, physical, linguistic limitations, many, many limitations, but with science and technology, we can transcend these limitations and we can improve ourselves. We can augment ourselves. Some of the most common ideas in transhumanism is super longevity, super intelligence, and super happiness. Those three pillars, basically unlimited happiness, unlimited longevity, and unlimited intelligence. And we think those are within our reach in the next two to three decades. So of all the limitations our current mortal cells
0: have, do you have a certain order of which you anticipate will overcome first?
2: Well, I think they are moving simultaneously. We are exponentially increasing our lifespans. We are exponentially increasing our communication capabilities and memory capabilities. Also, we are, I think, becoming happier in a way than in the past 2000 years ago average life expectancy was only 20 years at the time of the roman empire 20 years average okay still some people lived 100 years but most people died when they were very young so average 20 years in the roman empire today we are close to 80 and a century ago we were only at 40 so this is also increasing exponentially from 20 to 40, to 80, and in two decades to 160, and then unlimited life spans for those who want that.
1: Hmm. So there's also this term I've heard you mention before, the post-human age. What does that mean?
2: Well, with transhumanism, we believe that we will transcend the human condition, the human limitations, and we will augment ourselves, and we will move into a post-human world. To think about this biologically, let's remember or let's look back into our past six million years ago when we left other monkeys. We are still monkeys in a way. We are apes, we are simians, but we evolved from other monkeys and we separated from chimpanzees about six million years ago. So a chimpanzee cannot really understand what we do, what humans today do. We are basically post-chimpanzees or trans-chimpanzees. So in the future, we will do the same. We will move into transhumanism, into post-humanity. And for us, it is difficult to understand it now, just like it is for a chimpanzee to understand our civilization
1: today. Of course, yeah. There's this term I've heard you coin called energularity. I immediately thought of singularity, a very popular term. So what exactly is energularity and what can we expect from it?
2: When I was a professor at Singularity University, some people were inventing new terms like the Methuselah, which is the singularity of Methuselah, meaning living forever or living at least a thousand years, which is a lot of time compared to our current lifespans. Because I come from the energy area, I was also envisioning that in the next 20 to 30 years, we will move from fossil fuels into renewable fuels, mostly solar energy. And so I define the energularity as this transition from the past dirty fossil energy into the future clean, unlimited renewable energy. And I used something called the Kardashev Energy Scale of the universe Nikolai Kardashev was a very famous Russian physicist who about 50 years ago or even longer 60 years ago he created this energy scale of the universe and he talked about three different energy levels the first energy level when we use all the energy available to the planet from the sun star the second type of civilization when you use all the energy from the solar system and the third type of energy when you use all the solar power in the galaxy. So those were the three energy scale system by Kardashev. So I define then the energyularity, this energy singularity, when we become a type one Kardashev civilization, and we move into a world full of almost unlimited solar energy that will allow us to travel outside our planet as well.
1: Mm. Just one more term I wanted to ask you to define is this term, internet. What exactly is internet?
2: Actually, internet was popularized by some other MIT colleagues. It's the energy internet. Some people have been talking about this for a long time in different ways. Even Buckminster Fuller, who was a great visionary in the USA, he also talked that we could have wireless energy transmission. Basically, an internet for energy throughout the planet. So, this would be the energy internet, the internet. I also believe we are moving in that direction. We are going to have soon wireless energy transmission, even from outer space. We will have a space based solar power that we will beam down to planet Earth. And this will change radically everything. We don't need cables for energy, just like we don't need cables. For telephones today, well, the same with energy. We can do wireless energy transmission, and we will in the next two decades. And this will create the energy internet, the internet that will move into the energularity once we also have enough abundant solar power for the whole human civilization today.
1: Yeah. You can already see some of wireless energy coming into consumer spaces with short distance wireless chargers. And just to transition from this whole topic of energy and the larity to life extension, is there any way that we can expect the larity to affect life extension or benefit it, deficit it?
2: Well, I think now that we are moving into solar energy, we will have basically unlimited amounts of energy. And this is something that is going to be incredibly positive. We receive, in terms of solar power, almost 10,000 times more solar energy that we currently use on our planet, we humans together, almost 10,000 times continuously. So once we use more of this solar power, basically we will have cheap everything. We will have cheap manufacturing, not just cheap energy, cheap transportation, cheap food, and also cheaper health. Health will be cheaper in the future because of abundant energy. Wow.
0: I look forward to that. Hopefully, I'll be able to see that. Now that we're on the idea of future predictions, I think Ray Kurzweil is probably one of the most well known scientists always talking about future predictions. And he has some predictions for 2030 and 2045. Do you think there's anything that could prevent us from reaching those predictions? Like I don't know if the pandemic has helped or bolstered longevity research, but is there anything that could make his predictions off in any sense?
2: To put this into context, I had the pleasure to meet Ray Kurzweil almost uh, three decades ago at MIT. He's also a graduate of MIT, and he studied under Marvin Minsky, who was one of the greatest minds in artificial intelligence. I also took courses with him, with Marvin Minsky. Anyway, Ray Kurzweil began doing forecasts, projections, even longer before in the 1980s, and he discovered that there is an incredible regularity on all technologies that become digitized once you can digitize anything not just computers but any other technology it begins doubling with certain regularity every two years every three years or even less every one year as it is happening with some technologies so this is happening as he discovered in the 1980s and he called this eventually his law of accelerating returns, which is much more sophisticated than Moore's law. Many people just talk about Moore's law based on Gordon Moore, who was one of the co-founders of Intel, but Ray Kurzweil actually generalized this Moore's law into something applicable to many other technologies and to past and future technologies in different sequences. And so the law of accelerating returns has been following this pattern for over a century. So it is not even half a century or 40 years or 30 years. Over a century, he discovered that analyzing the results of the census, the U.S. census at the end of the 19th century and the technology we had at the time and how it kept on improving, improving, doubling exponentially, exponentially. And this will continue. He has had an incredible track record of good forecasting between 80 and 90 percent, which is absolutely incredible, especially for so long, for so long. And based on these predictions, he says that around 2013, we will reach longevity escape velocity or the Methuselahity, and also we will pass the Alan Turing test things will happen in about a decade from now, if not earlier, it could happen even earlier. And these trends will continue accelerating exponentially until by 2045, we will reach the technological singularity, which can be defined as the time, the moment when artificial intelligence surpasses all of human intelligence. And not only By 2045, we will pass the technological singularity, but also we will reach immortality through rejuvenation biotechnology. We will be able to become younger. That is why I mentioned that I plan to be younger than you are today, because we will be able to rejuvenate ourselves, not only living longer and growing older, but growing younger. This should be possible by 2045. And why again? Because of tracking of different technologies. And now medicine and biology has been digitized with the sequence of the human genome. Even medicine is a digital science today. And that is why he has been able to continue these predictions, these forecasts. And those are his hopes by 2030 and 2045. And I believe they will happen around those times, if not earlier, because this is again happening faster and faster, but also unless there is a nuclear war or another catastrophic disaster, even a comet or an asteroid hitting our planet, I think this will happen. And as Ray Kurzweil has shown, these trends continued even during World War I, World War II, The financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, and even during the COVID crisis of 2020, you can see how the economies are recovering. The stock market is growing again exponentially. All these things have happened, even though most people said, oh, COVID is the end of the world. This will push us back one century. Or even in the financial crisis of 2008, people said, oh, this is the worst financial crisis in a century. Well, what happened? After one year, it was over, and we were back growing exponentially again. So uh, even with a war like World War One and World War Two, things kept on going relatively predictably. And I think this will continue unless something really horrible, as I said, nuclear war, which I don't think will happen, or an asteroid, which I don't think will show by our nice planet in the next two decades.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned how there's a lot of technological growth that has happened during periods of where we don't expect any growth to be occurring. So in 2021 today, what are some of the technologies that are being worked on? Like, where are we right now in terms of the plan that Ray Kurzweil once had?
2: Well, actually this crisis has accelerated some technologies. For example adaptation of virtual reality and virtual meetings, telemedicine, teleeducation, teleworking. We do everything now virtually or parts of it. And this was supposed to happen maybe in 10 years. And it has happened in one year because of the COVID crisis. Another thing that is incredibly important is the advances in medicine, like the new vaccines using messenger RNA Even though we knew this technology for the last few decades, the first idea was almost 40 years ago, and we had some better technology even one decade ago, we did not have a messenger RNA vaccine until last year. And let me tell you two things which are mind-blowing. First of all, the COVID virus was sequenced, the genome, in 11 days in China. After it was identified, some Chinese scientists in 11 days sequenced the genome and sent it via email to centers in Germany, the USA, and other countries. And Moderna, which is based in Boston, Massachusetts, Moderna did one vaccine in 48 hours without having the virus physically. They just had the sequence of the virus that was done in 11 days in China, sent immediately via email to Moderna and BioNTech, Pfizer and other companies. And in 48 hours, they had the first vaccines. This is absolutely incredible. Incredible. People thought vaccines were Decades in the making and so on and so forth. Well, 48 hours for the first messenger RNA vaccines. And now this technology is so powerful and so good because it actually uses your own body to protect yourself that now they are using this technology to have cancer vaccines, malaria vaccines, and AIDS, HIV vaccines. We are going to have these vaccines thanks to this new messenger RNA technology in the next five to 10 years at the latest. Incredible. Imagine cancer vaccines, malaria vaccines, AIDS vaccines. Finally, finally, they are coming. And this is also partly due to COVID. That gives me a lot of hope for the future, definitely, Jose.
0: And I guess on that note, say we're past 2045 now, you know, Ray Kurzweil's predictions come true. We no longer have cancer, HIV, malaria, killing off millions of humans every year. What do you envision your future self to be doing once we have all these
2: things cured and everything is fixed? Well, I am very transhumanist, very singularitarian in my views, like my friend Ray Kurzweil. So I do believe we are moving into a post-human world. And most people will actually want to live in this post-human world with super intelligence, super longevity, and super happiness. It is difficult to know what the future will be after the singularity. In fact, the singularity is a point where we cannot imagine or think or know what will happen afterward. So I do not know what the world will be like after 2045, but I do think I will be basically super intelligent, super longevous, and super happy. But also, again, let's put this in reference. Six million years ago, when we left our chimpanzee monkey ancestors behind, they could not dream of what we do. And our brain is only three times bigger, only three times bigger than a chimpanzee brain. Imagine when we have... Unlimited brains with unlimited memory because there will be no physical size. We will connect our brains to the cloud, to the internet. So there will be no physical limit, not because we will just have bigger brains, but because they will be linked to the cloud that has no limit and also no limit in memory and no limit in speed communications. For example, today, Now we are talking, talking is very slow, it's very primitive, it's very narrow bandwidth. In the future, we will communicate with broad bandwidth, with unlimited speed and with unlimited memory. So this interview, instead of taking maybe one hour, it will take one second, one second. It will go from my brain to your brain. We will share all the information with broadband, Very high speed and unlimited memory. And we will remember everything. You will remember what you ate today, what you were wearing today. You can Google your brain.
1: Mm -hmm. So with that, wouldn't we expect a lot of cultural changes? Like for example, the first example that came to my own mind is I go to university, right? If I have the ability to connect to the internet, wouldn't traditional schooling and traditional systems like that just perish?
2: Well, I do think that we will have brain-to-computer interfaces. So we will connect our brains to the computers and to other brains if we want to. And maybe like in the Matrix, we will be able to upload any knowledge. If you want to fly a helicopter, you will put that chip in your brain. If you want to speak Chinese, you will put that chip in your brain in one second. You don't need to take years to learn Chinese or years to be a helicopter pilot. You will do it like in the Matrix, in one second, in one second. And I think really this is possible because we will have unlimited speed, unlimited knowledge, unlimited memory. But now we have to talk and we have to write and we have to read. This is very, very slow, very inefficient, of course. If we compare ourselves to monkeys that do not talk, that do not write, that do not read, obviously we are in a much better world. But imagine when we have telepathy, when we communicate with computers, it's a totally different world. So there will be no universities as we do today. No.
0: Wow. Okay. No university, no more four years. (laughs) I look forward to that, (laughs) learning all these things. And on the idea, because you bring up all these innovations. Right now, everyone's heard of Silicon Valley, that's based in the US, and they're doing a lot of stuff there. But in terms of all these new innovations, and especially in the field of longevity, do you think there's a particular country that will be leading the charge in all of this?
2: Well, I think now there are no limits to knowledge anywhere, because we already have global internet. Very soon, you know, we will have it throughout the planet, even in the poorest places. In Africa, in India, we will have internet everywhere. And so people will have access to all the knowledge in the planet. You will not even be able to say, I don't know. You have to eliminate that sentence, I don't know. Because if you want to know anything, you will be able to know anything immediately. And you will have actually that information connected to your brain. You will have Wikipedia in your brain. You will have Google in your brain. So it is a totally different world. And there will be then research, innovation throughout the planet. India has 1.4 billion people. China, a little bit more. Africa, Africa also has 1.5 billion people, et cetera, et cetera. Imagine how many Einsteins are there in Africa, India, or China. And these people will have access to all human knowledge, all of it. They just need to ask for it, to have it, to find it, and then to discover, to create. So I think the world of the future will be a very decentralized Silicon Valley. Since there is Silicon everywhere, there will be Silicon Valleys everywhere in China, in India, in Africa, in Latin America, and of course, in North America, in Europe, in Japan, China, etc. Wow, I like the way you put it. Silicon everywhere.
0: There's not just Silicon Valley anymore. But on the idea of cultures, because a lot of people were interviewing are predominantly from North America or from Europe. And you're the first person we've ever talked to who's really speaking out on this, but they're from South America. Because you've also visited all these places in the world. Have you noticed any differences in cultural acceptance of these different technologies?
2: Yes, indeed. Many differences. And some of them have to do with the history, with the religion also of the countries. I can give you examples. In North America, there are the Amish. The Amish, because of the religion, they don't want to use new technology. So they live like in the 18th century. Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't want blood transfusions, for example. The Christian scientists, the Church of Christian Scientists in Boston also, they think that just by prayer and believing in God and Jesus Christ, you can cure yourself, etc., etc. I actually prefer messenger RNA vaccines than just praying. <laughs> I think it is a surer way for uh, advancing science. In any event, yeah, there are many differences. And there were differences in the past. And religion many times was an obstacle. Most people know the story about Galileo. He was also almost going to be burned by the Catholic Church because he believed that our planet, the Earth, was not the center of the universe. He thought it was. The sun. And then later we discovered it was not even the sun. The sun is a smaller star in the galaxy and even smaller in the whole universe. In any way, let me also give you two examples which I find very fascinating, not just because of religious differences, but also cultural and maybe the difference between the East and the West. I lived three years in Japan and I went a lot to Korea and to China. And in these East Asian cultures, they love robots. It's very interesting. They like robots. There have been some marriages in China and in Japan of humans and robots, which is interesting. In the West, however, we have this Terminator fear. We are afraid of robots. But in Japan, they want to make love to robots. So it's very interesting. And I'll tell you this difference. Thinking about another type of robots from before, and those are dragons. Dragons do not exist really. Dragons are uh, good animals in East Asia. Dragons actually are the symbols of the emperor of China and Japan and Korea. They are part of the royalty, the dragons. They have dragons for big happy celebrations. Well, in Europe, dragons are bad. Dragons are bad. Dragons throw fire. It people, destroy cities. So while dragons are good in the East, dragons are bad in the West. The same with robots. While robots are good and they want to make love to robots in the East, in the West, we are afraid of robots. We think the robots will destroy us. And that is because of the mentality. Actually, robot, the word robot was invented a hundred years ago in 1921, from the Czech Republic play of 1921 about robots, which was dirty work in a way. So we think that robots are for work and they work for us and maybe we will work for them in the future. Anyway, yeah, there are many cultural differences, historical differences, religious differences. We need to be open-minded because these technologies, I think they will be good and they will be accepted eventually, like many advances in medicine that were fakery or were not true in some parts of the world, but now they are accepted everywhere.
1: Mm -hmm. So there's obviously a lot of choices between cultures, for example, the Amish, you know, they refuse to accept newer technologies. But unfortunately, a lot of people, they don't even get the choice to have a choice. For example, a lot of technology, rich people tend to get it first and it trickles down very slowly through consumerism and other forms to the people who are less wealthy. How do we stop life extension technology? Or is there already something stopping? life extension technology from following a similar pathway where it starts off with the rich people and it creates some form of segregation until people who are more average are able to receive it.
2: Indeed, all technologies, when they begin, they are very expensive, but also very bad because they are experimental in a way. So they are not good, even though they are very expensive. When they are democratized, when they are massified, they become very cheap and very good. We can see that with mobile telephones, cell phones, that were for the rich people. And then in two decades, they became available to everybody throughout the planet. Even the poorest people in India, in Africa, if they want, they have a $10 cell phone, which is nothing. $10, even the poorest people can afford it if they really want it or need it. Then another example is the Human Genome Project. It took $3 billion and 13 years to sequence the first human genome. Today, you can do it in a couple of days for a couple of hundred dollars. In five years, you can do it for $10 in 10 minutes. Imagine how fast this technology is moving. But I'll give you a better example so that you see how this will be available to everybody almost immediately. I mean, longevity rejuvenation technologies. And the best example is COVID. The COVID vaccine was not only created incredibly fast, it has been massified incredibly fast and it has been distributed incredibly fast. Basically, in one year, the whole planet will be vaccinated with this vaccine. And why? Because if you make differences, or only the rich people will get it then there will be a revolution. Immediately, that government would be overthrown if they said, oh, no, only for the wealthy people, only for the top people. In fact, even the richer countries need to help the poorer countries. And there is an initiative called COVAX that is for the richer countries to help the poorer countries. Why? Because this is a global problem. If there are people in any poor country with COVID, then people will be infected again. They will probably get in COVID later. If there is one person in Zimbabwe or in Afghanistan who has COVID, maybe a Canadian or a German will still get COVID. So we need to eliminate COVID from the whole planet. And this is going to happen, as I said, incredibly fast. And let me tell you, COVID is not really that bad. In historic terms, it's really not bad 4 million people, which is a tragedy, of course, 4 million people who have died of COVID is a tragedy, but AIDS has killed 40 million people. And the Spanish flu, it killed between 50 and 100 million people, it is estimated, when the world population was only 2 billion people. So imagine the higher estimate, 100 million people in a population of two billion people. That is the Spanish flu a century ago. Those were horrible pandemics. And let's not forget the Black Plague, the bubonic plague of the 13th, 14th centuries that killed up to a third of the European population. One out of every three Europeans died. That was really a horrible pandemic. And at that time, obviously, we didn't know what was a virus or what caused a pandemic. Today, we know it and we can sequence the genome very quickly and create vaccines very quickly. So to me, this will be actually the last pandemic in human history, the last pandemic ever. Why? Because we are prepared. We know how to sequence the virus. We know how to create the vaccines. In fact, even to do the clinical trials, we are learning so much that we might be able to do clinical trials in only one month. I mean, I don't know, but this is moving so fast and we are learning so much that to me, this is truly the last global pandemic in human history. So I'm saying all of this because for this small pandemic, in historic terms, I repeat, and I don't want to to say this is small in the sense that 4 million people have died. This is horrible. We can see that the deaths are basically with older people. Why? Because COVID, like all diseases, are related to aging. You young people in your 20s, not only you should probably not get COVID, but you are not going to have a heart attack or to have cancer or to have Alzheimer's. Why? Because you are young. Your immunological system is strong and you are prepared for many, many diseases, and you don't have cancer, you don't have heart attacks, you don't have Alzheimer's, you don't have Parkinson's, and you don't have COVID. So going back to COVID, this small pandemic, in historic terms, has changed the world, truly changed the world. For something relatively small, 4 million people, every year, 60 million people die. 60. Out of those 60 million people, two-thirds are related to diseases of aging. So 40 million people die of age-related diseases. So even COVID is small compared to age-related diseases. And once we discover how to delay aging and how to reverse aging, this is going to fly higher and faster than the COVID vaccine because if it doesn't, there will be a global revolution, because everybody wants to leave, or most people. Not everybody, I have to correct, because there are suicides, there are homicides, and there are accidents, and those will probably continue. Accidents, we cannot stop them all. Homicide we can probably also not stop them all. And suicides, sadly, they might continue still. In any event, This will be available to everyone, I would say, almost immediately, in one day, so fast, in one day, because the whole planet will want these technologies. Every single person, or almost every person, okay? There are exceptions, as I said. Almost everybody will want this, and they will have it, or there will be a big revolution. So, Jose, you touched on a really good
0: point there, that we consider until now, like you said, all these technologies, most people like 99.99 will accept it. But for the very small percent that don't, do you think they'll still be able to function in society? Or do you think there'll be so much overwhelming pressure to have some sort of a therapeutic intervention or enhancement that even if they don't really want to, they're almost forced to have to get some sort of therapy in that way?
2: I gave the examples of the Amish. Some of their communities don't want telephones, computers, cars. It's hard to force them because if they don't want it, that's the way it is. Or the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't want blood transfusions and some other groups and so on and so forth. So you cannot force them. They will decide. They should be more open-minded to see the benefits, the advantages. Well, also with the vaccines, there are some people who don't want the vaccines. Also, I understand that the messenger RNA vaccines are so new and by the way, so incredibly wonderful that some people don't trust it. They say, how could this incredibly fantastic technology appear out of nowhere and cure and be the best vaccines ever in human history and now cure also cancer, malaria, and AIDS? Were these vaccines before? Well, they were not invented before, so now they are here and they are fantastic. The anti-vax people... There will be the anti mind uploading and the anti, oh, the Luddites, the Luddites. It's funny, the Luddites appeared in Britain when the Industrial Revolution was beginning, and the Luddites destroyed the machines because they said the machines would take away their jobs. Well, thankfully, those machines indeed took away our old, dirty jobs. And we moved up the ladder. We moved out of the ladder of Abraham Maslow pyramid of uh, human necessities and hierarchies and needs. We are moving up, 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 from survival into self-actualization, self-realization, human improvement, human augmentation. So I would expect that most people who are not totally brainwashed by their old culture, religion, or philosophy, or whatever. If they keep an open mind, I think they should see the advantages of augmented longevity, augmented intelligence, and augmented happiness. But also, they should have a choice. And let's go back six million years ago with the chimpanzees. When we evolved from our previous monkey ancestors, actually, we didn't have a choice, nor did the other chimpanzees, because this was biological evolution by hazard. It was not planned. It was not programmed. It was not engineered. It just happened. So the chimpanzees, that is state chimpanzees, they really had no choice. And also our ancestors who evolved, who increased our brains from half a kilogram to one kilogram and a half, which is our brain today. We had no choice, really. This is what happened, and we inherited our brains this way. Hopefully, because now we have this brain, which is bigger, people will use it. You know, I hope people use their brains. And I want to use artificial intelligence. One of my favorite phrases is, I am not afraid of artificial intelligence. I am afraid of human stupidity. That is what I am afraid of, human stupidity. If I can be more intelligent, I want to be more intelligent. I want to be with intelligent people. I want to have intelligent children. I want everybody to be, if possible, more intelligent. And I hope you too. You don't want to be with stupid friends. You want to be with intelligent friends. You want to be with intelligent children and old people. And if you can have this intelligence naturally and also
1: artificially,
2: you should take it. Do you want to be more stupid or more intelligent? That is my question.
1: Mm-hmm. So we always have the choice of taking it or not taking it. Do you think that we should offer or we should create an option for people who like to taste test? You know, like I might want to live 500 years. Let me try not aging for five years. Should we offer an undo option for life extension therapy?
2: Well, this will always be available. You can always in a way revert to the old system. Even now, you know, we could actually biologically engineer us back into chimpanzees or into some other type of monkeys. This is possible today. I don't think, though, many humans would like to be monkeys today. Uh, Maybe some do. Uh, Not many, I hope. But it is possible. As I also mentioned, there will sadly probably be suicides, like there are suicides today. And so some people might want to commit suicide. That is also why I said immortality is a big word, because for immortality, we need infinity. And we don't have infinity yet. We don't know what will happen in billions and billions of years into the future. But people will always be able to commit suicide. I tell my friends, this is not a curse. This is not mandatory. If you don't want to be immortal or if you want to die, you are always free to die. Death is very nearby, actually. You can die now if you want to. So the option to die is always with you. But normally we don't want to die. Even people who are dying, if they have the choice, most of them would want to go back to be alive, especially, especially if you are going to be young, if you are going to be healthy, and if you are going to be intelligent. Actually, I think if we become more intelligent, we will want to be more alive, uh, healthier and younger. So this is my guess about the future. Just the short answer to your question is, yes, you will always have the option to die.
0: So for people who really want to get involved in all these future technologies, right now, Sufal and I were both 20 years old. And we were like, man, I really want to help Marie Kurzweil's predictions come true, but 2030 and 2045. What's the best way I can get involved, whether as a scientist or working with the FDA? Or if I make a lot of money, should I just invest it all? How can I really help out?
2: Well, I think all those options are okay, because people are different. We have very different passions, very different interests. I think as long as You work towards this positive future because I do want to emphasize, I think the future will be absolutely fantastic. So you can do that making a lot of money and maybe donating some of that money like some of the billionaires are doing today. Vitalik, the guy who created Ethereum, Ether, he's actually donated millions of dollars to the Sense Research Foundation and so many other people as well. And he's only 27. He became billionaire because of Ethereum, and he was also living in Canada, I think in Toronto, right? I think so, yeah. So while well, you might become a, a young billionaire like him at age 26 <laughs> or 27 and donate a few million dollars to that, that is okay, that is a good possibility. I am an engineer from MIT, and I think science and technology is a joy to discover things to see how nature works, understand how nature is. In fact, why immortality already exists? This is one of my favorite things. Immortality is possible because it already exists. Cancer cells are immortal. And cancer cells didn't go to university. (laughs) They didn't go to the University of Toronto or to MIT. And they learned how to become immortal. So you guys who are at the University of Toronto or me that I went to MIT, we will discover what cancer did. And it will be joyful. It will be so much fun to discover what cancer did, for example, or why other cells are immortal. Germ cells, and you also have germ cells, they are biologically immortal in the sense that they do not age. And also there are some small organisms like hydras, medusas some jellyfish, etc., that they also are biologically immortal. So the proof that immortality is possible is that it already exists, and it is waiting to be discovered. Maybe one of you just understand what cancer did, what your germ cells in your body, in your body, why are they immortal, and why planaria. You can chop a little planaria worm into a hundred pieces and each one will regrow a whole planaria worm completely. This is incredible. Do an experiment on planaria. They're very cheap and they, they don't feel upset with you if you cut it in 10 pieces. So, so do experiments <laughs> with planaria and with bacteria. And with C. elegans, C. elegans, a small worm also that has only about a thousand cells out of which 300 cells are neurons. So percentage-wise, they have a big nervous system. 300 out of a thousand cells are nervous system, not really neurons, but nervous system. Anyway, so discover that all of that is waiting to be discovered. And also, obviously, regulation, people who are more interested in law. Do that, we need good regulation. That is why we need also competition between countries because some countries over-regulate, some under-regulate. So we need to have the best possible regulation. So any area is okay. I have, as I said, my personal bias as an engineer. I love engineering, but pure science is also beautiful. And even law. I'm not too much into law, but yeah, for regulation we need some lawyers not too many we need some
1: <laughs> Absolutely So Jose where can people learn more about your work support it or even get involved
2: Well I am the vice president of Humanity Plus it was called before the World Transhumanist Association WTA World Transhumanist Association but about 10 years ago we changed the name to Humanity Plus because we think it conveys a more positive idea. In any event, Google Transhumanism, Google Humanity Plus, Google my name. I am organizing uh, conferences all the time, mostly in the USA and in Europe. In the USA, I am one of the organizers of the largest longevity conference in the world, which is called RAD R-A-A-D, RAD, Revolution Against Aging and Death. That is in Las Vegas, but this year, because of COVID, it will still be virtual. Hopefully in in 2022, we'll be again in-person because going to Las Vegas is a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) So you can meet a lot of interesting people and learn about these ideas with scientists and also with artists. It is a festival. We have people singing, dancing, making beautiful artistic manifestations. And in Europe, I am organizing conferences, mostly in Spain, in Madrid, where I live. I organize the Trans Vision Conference, TransVision, the transhumanist vision of the future. And uh, so come here to Spain. Spain is also a beautiful country. And Spain, as you probably know, is the uh, number three language in the world, just right after Chinese and English. So it is an important language and relatively easy. I think actually Spanish is easier than English. And of course, much, much easier than Chinese.
0: Okay, so I guess for any of you guys listening, all these links to what Jose is involved in will be in the description below. Once again, thank you, Jose, for agreeing to be here. Once again, you're listening to I'm Immortal, your source for all things immortal. And yeah, Jose, we really appreciate you taking
2: the time to speak with us today. Well, it is my pleasure. I love old people like you. You are old, remember. Okay. <laughs> in 2045 I will be younger than you okay <laughs> okay and don't take this as a threat yeah. because you will probably be younger as well so we will be all be younger and healthier by 2045 because we are truly living between the last human mortal generation and the first immortal generation and because I plan to make it alive until the year 2045, then I plan to rejuvenate myself. And we can watch or listen to this interview in the future when I am younger than you are today.
1: I look forward to sitting down with yeah. 20-year-old Jose see listening to street. this interview. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, my dear old friends, remember we live in magical times, Sir Arthur C. Clarke that I went to visit him in Colombo, Sri Lanka, before he died. I actually had the last interview with him, and he was an incredibly futuristic and positive person who was an engineer by training. He was an electric engineer, but he became famous writing science fiction. So so you can do many things, many, many things. Even writing good science fiction like he did is important. He said also we need to be positive about the future. We need to be optimistic about the future because all of the ideas about the future begin in our mind. And if we think we will destroy humanity, we will destroy our planet, then it will probably happen, sadly. But if we believe that we will overcome all these problems, all the challenges, then we will probably do it. So that is why I always tell my friends, we have to be positive, we have to be optimistic. And it is also better really to live longer. There are many studies that positive people have better and longer lives than negative people. Try to be very happy, optimistic, and remember, super longevity, super intelligence, and super happiness. (laughs) Perfect.